welcome back. It's time for Customers Who Click. We've got another great episode for you today. I'm joined by Paul Valley, the Managing Director at Cocoon Rugs. We're going to explore a range of topics today, including their micro-influencer strategy and a focus on top of funnel marketing. We're also going to talk about how they provide a great on-site experience for customers to ensure they convert as many as possible uh, and the importance of customer service. Before we get stuck in though, open up the iTunes app again and hit the review button. Uh, my preference is of course a positive review, preferably five star, but any and all reviews are welcome for the feedback. Uh, let's get Paul on now. Hi Paul, thanks for joining me today. Would you mind just giving us a bit of your background and well, an introduction to yourself and how you've got to where you are today? Yeah, no problem. As I said, Paul Valley's my name. I'm the Managing Director of Cocoon Rugs. And we're an online rug retail business and we've been in business now for 16 years. So the business actually started back in, in 2000, very, very late 2006. Myself and my sister went on a how to sell on eBay course in London at the time. It was, it was quite early on for, for the eBay journey. But for us and probably for, for the UK and Ireland in general, we seen an opportunity. We started selling odds and ends, uh, secondhand stuff our parents had around the house. I think I was 20 at the time or 21. And my dad actually sold, sold rugs at local market stalls. And he, he had some overstock that he couldn't sell. And he said, if we could sell that on eBay, we, we didn't have to pay him until we sold the stock. So that started us on our journey in, into, into selling rugs online. And uh, we built the business up from there. We started buying from distributors, buying clearance products. And then eventually we, uh, we started going direct to factories in probably in 09, 10, whenever Whenever the, the marketplace algorithms, we also joined Amazon at that stage and algorithms had moved to best match rather than auction uh, date time listings. So we realized we needed uh, stable supply and, and going through distributors then wasn't, wasn't really an option. So we went direct to the factories, started building up factory relationships and started designing our own product. And we built our own website back at that stage as well and started started trading across multiple channels. And we, uh, we really focused on trying to add value at the design stage, having really trend-led, design-led products and trying to keep keep it a real value proposition for customers. So we, we feel that our category is very overpriced and, and we always felt that, uh, that we could offer something a, a little bit more a little bit more reasonably priced for, for customers that, that could that could maybe change products more often and, and, and keep right up the trend for, for a reasonable price. So the business now has 75 people operating out of, we have warehousing in, in Northern Ireland and also in Liverpool. And uh, we have a couple of retail stores as well. And we ship, well, last year we shipped just over 750,000 orders. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so it's a pretty decent-sized business now then. You mentioned price there. My, I mean, my guess just at the top of my head would be Rugs are probably, you know, they're a, a decorative item and that kind of makes it a little bit more luxury, I suppose, which then means that because it's a, a luxury and nice to have, it gets that price tag added to it to, to make up for that. Yeah, um, there's, it's a very it's a variable product. So prices you know, it can start very low and, and then value is added at multiple different stages. But uh, but yeah, it's a luxury product. It's a it's a relatively discretionary purchase, and the the value really is in, in the in the eye of the beholder. It's uh, it, it's up to the customer what they feel the value of the product is because a like for like match can often be hard to find. Yeah. So in, interestingly, I'm having a, a chat with someone else who's in a in a market where they have they've kind of come in as the one of the cheaper options as well. And in their case, they were saying that cheaper options are seen as inferior quality, basically. So with that in mind, like how do you how do you keep customers clicking? How do you how do you how do you convince them of that value? Yeah, it's it. you've you've probably got straight to the nub of, of a lot of our thought processes internally here. Uh, 
the first thing for us is probably the most obvious is, is company and product reviews, and particularly product reviews have become absolutely essential in, in, in modern business. And we we see that, that that products with reviews convert convert at a far higher rate, and, and then consequently reviews come more quickly and, and customers are happier. So it, it becomes a self fulfilling process, mm-hmm. and it it's something we probably battle with a little bit because. We actually have an incredibly strong product review background through our site, and we have had feedback in the past that it almost looks a little bit fake, which which can sometimes be an issue because we have an awful lot of four and five star reviews, and 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 customers then maybe have a little bit of a question mark. So we we dial in our product reviews. We we try and focus massively on photography accuracy. So we try and ensure that that what we're showing to the customer is is an accurate reflection of the product. And then, and then we try and double down on that by by creating a real social platform connection with with our brand in general and also with particular products. So we really try and give customers a view and a connection when they're shopping of what this product could look like in their own home. Because we're we're very strong on on our UGC on our user generated content within our social platforms, and we work with an awful lot of influencers and micro influencers. To, to to work with our brand or work with our products and then and then use that imagery intertwined throughout our site, but also connect back to those postings from our site so the customers can see them from a third party review essentially, but but the review is, is often through a through a social post. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So a couple of points on there. Reviews, starting with the reviews. It's interesting what you said there about it looking fake. And I kind of get what you mean, but it's also it's one of those annoying things that's happened because of bad actors in the space, right? If your product is good, you should only get good reviews about the product. You might get the odd bad review saying it took them six weeks to ship my product when they said it was going to be there next week or you know, th- those sort of reviews which aren't really about the product. You know, so- sometimes they even say the, the quality is great, but they didn't answer my emails and it took two weeks to turn up. So those you know, a lot of the time, those do tend to be the negative reviews when you do have a huge amount of four and five star reviews. So not having those as well also kind of should just indicate that you're doing the right job. But actually, if they're not there, people just assume that you're uh, moderating reviews or, or or faking the number of five star or something like that. Everyone, Everyone's quite sceptical now, I think. Yeah, and and speaking as a as a consumer myself, I can see that I I wear my skeptics hat quite regularly when when I'm buying. So so yeah, I think there's a huge challenge for us, and it's kind of where your question started is how do we mitigate that? So so we have to have enough enough other avenues of of, of connection with the customer to that they feel that level of trust. And we actually find from from customer surveys, we find that the, a huge volume of our customers do a social cross check regardless of where they found out about us originally. But they but they do that social cross check to find out are, are we genuine and are our products genuine and when they see that that content intertwined they're they're very very happy to purchase. Yeah, I've I've been noticing that a lot recently. I've been I was, I was doing some customer interviews recently for for a couple of new clients, and it came up a few times. So when asking you know how do you how do you make sure you're comfortable buying from this business, a lot of them said they would go off just to Instagram and just have a look at their page. You know, are they verified? Do you have a, a story live? Because that indicates that you're 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 active. You've been active recently. You know, do you have recent posts? Do you get do you get comments? Do you get engagement? One really interesting comment was that actually this person used social media as that review, right? So 
kind of would check, would still check on the on-site reviews, but would actually look for social media because that's where people will go to complain because they they, they know they can complain publicly and and it's, it's you know it's as if you're you're complaining to the company. But also people go and and leave nice comments as well. You know, if you post up a picture of a product that someone's bought, quite often they'll just they'll see it and they'll comment on it and say, "Oh yeah, I bought this. I love it." It's great. So I think it's 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 a really interesting source of social proof and reviews that I think a lot of people haven't really considered. Yeah, and, and it, it is becoming like the high bar of trust because, as you said, the openness of it and the fact that it's it's much harder to to find a way around it. It's it's a very natural interaction, and we find the and one interesting number we're starting to see a lot of is is Facebook's uh, Pixel. It's measured in any click attribution, and yeah, you can, you can take or leave the number. It's, it's you know the number itself can can be hard to trust. But what we're finding is its number as a multiple of what GA reports for Facebook sales is is getting ever higher and higher as a multiple. And it suggests to us that more and more customers are clicking through to our socials at some point in the journey. So they are. So as I said, the number itself you, you can't use from a or you, it's a struggle to use it from a. A cost per acquisition point of view, but certainly as a guide to what our customers are doing in and around the journey, it suggests more customers than ever do that cross-check pre-purchase. Yeah, well, it's it's just an easy, quick, an easy, quick check to just see see what you think about a business. I've I, I do it as well. I know I do it. I, I don't tend to look into comments and things, but if I if I see verified, if I see a story that indicates they're recent, you know, if I see that the company's got probably 10,000 plus followers that generally indicates indicates to me that they are you know pr- pretty legit you know 10,000 10, because I, a lot of companies I look at are startups and smaller companies so you know that tends to be my my kind of cutoff point i suppose it's when it's probably actually when it when instagram switches it to k or k plus instead of the actual number of followers yeah, yeah that's the yeah, bit that that's your barometer yeah that's, yeah <laughs> That's my bar. You mentioned customer service as well. How do you do? You, do you do you have much customer service interaction with people pre-purchase, as opposed to just the the post-purchase? You know, where's my product, or I've got this question about this product I ordered. We don't as a as a volume of our customer service interactions pre-purchase is less than twenty percent. So it's it's not it's not a big number for us. Our our average order value is below hundred pounds, so it's it's a little bit more of a it's an impulse purchase. So there's less requirement for questions up front, but it is an area of, of potential opportunity for us. We don't we're not strong with web chat, and we don't offer enough of an opportunity to to upsell the services we have within the business. So because of our, our showroom connections here and, and the retail stores we have, we we have the opportunity to provide lifestyle uh, support and and sort of style guides and mood boards we have all these things internally already we have fully trained team members for our for our on-site customers for our, our retail in-store customers sorry and connecting that with our online customers is is one of our big opportunities for 2023 so uh, so we know that we know that once a customer connects with us by phone call the opportunity for them to order again goes up significantly we, we have some some basic statistics around that but the, it's, it's really clear that whenever customers connect with a customer service team here the standards they receive and the connection they make means their their lifetime value for us is, is significantly higher so an investment in trying to find more ways to connect at that level will be very valuable for us going forward yeah absolutely one thing i'm looking i'm looking into quite a bit at the moment is video content from employees and within a business 
So really, really trying to avoid salesy kind of marketing studio style videos and more just things like, hi, I'm Will. I am from this team. You know, here are some of my favorite rugs or something. And just talking through, you know, why they like them, the different styles and things, you know, kind of like a, a shoppable live stream sort of content, but but not not salesy, not pushy. Because also, you know, it, it, again, it's that piece of trust, right? You see someone behind the business. It's it's just interesting content to see. It's just, I, I suppose it just has that credibility, doesn't it? Just seeing the video, even if you don't like the rug that's in it. Yeah, and, and I think as you said, there's a couple of points there. This credibility is one huge, huge piece. There's a connect connectivity. If you like if you like the culture and, and the nature of the person, you're, you're more likely to, to connect. And, and we also find that a lot of customers, the, the, the process of shopping, customers would like it more and more automated. So a little bit of style advice or, or guidance advice isn't required, but if you can offer it in the correct format, then then it's very much enjoyed and, and, and brought on board by the customer. So, so it's a multiple opportunity to, to build a connection, but also to, to drive an opportunity for sale. Yeah, so less not not looking to speak to a, an interior designer to get help with rugs, but if there was some video content or i suppose like a product quiz or something that would that would just help guide people to the right styles that's going to fit for them that sort of thing where uh, yeah it's it's super quick to just click a few icons or answer free questions and and get suggested some ideas that's what i need i'm i'm looking to buy lighting at the moment for my kitchen and this is something i'm terrible at right i have I have very, very limited creative talent. So, you know, I'm looking at all these different styles and I'm literally going every single one I like, but I need to find one that's actually going to fit the kitchen and the style of the kitchen. So I just need, you know, I need to click a few buttons and, and just have a website tell me what, what types of lights I should buy. I think you must be sitting in on our commercial meetings here because we're, we actually are working on that product quiz at the moment as, as a different way to approach the filter setup, yeah. basically, as, as you suggested, but, but a more interactive, enjoyable way where it feels a little bit, it feels like more like the, the in-person interaction and, the, and then you, you still get a result at the end. And, and the, yeah, that's our, our experience, our worry and our experience from seeing it in our channels is actually that the result can be the biggest concern because you want to... You want to make an interactive and enjoyable experience, but the more choices that we supply, the the higher the chance that your result is is low or zero. So so we're trying to find a way to make sure that that we have that end result that still that still gives you an enjoyable experience. But you've you've definitely you've sat in on, on a couple of our meetings here. There's no doubt about that. Uh, yeah, I suppose it's the it's the you've got to ask enough questions to make someone believe that you're genuinely giving them actual advice based on their question, based on their answers, but not too many questions that, like you said, you end up saying, here's one result. Or I, I've been on websites where I've run through their quiz, their own quiz, right? It's nothing, nothing custom I've done. I've gone through their own quiz and got zero results. Yeah. Right. That's, that's, that's also our experience. That, that's that's our a experience. big, big problem for them. Yeah. But yeah, just, yeah. You, you want to avoid the analysis paralysis paralysis of here's 200 rugs that might that you might like but also you've got to avoid the here's three if you don't like any of them that's it yeah and, and, and it is a challenge any testing we've done the, it it's a one choice difference often between zero five and 50 there's, there's a one small choice in the in the fold so so yeah that's 
it, it needs to be a, a very smart survey that, that can reject a certain lane within it, depending upon the level of filtering. That's that's our perception so far, but we haven't we haven't found a way to to do that. We think we we can find surveys that drop out the very last answer you supply, but the very last answer may have had minimal or, or a huge effect, and it's actually the answers that that have had more of an interim effect that you want to that you want to adjust. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. I'd, I'm keen to hear more about that when, when you get that sorted. Speaking of, so obviously, on-site customer service, oh, sorry, customer experience, it's really important. How do you, what does a good on-site experience look like for you, for, for, some, for your customers, for someone who's trying to buy a rug? What do you think that good experience is? Probably... And, and again, we have to be so careful. Sometimes we're too close to the detail. But the the one thing that we're always trying to protect, and, uh, and, we're, and we're not always successful, but is is load speed. As, as crazy as it sounds, because we all know from our own personal experience, and we know from customer feedback that as soon as things are slow or laborious, regardless of what the content is, as soon as it's slow or laborious, particularly in mobile, the attention span goes very very quickly. So it's trying to Get get what the customer's looking for, loaded in, in in a very reasonable and fast speed to the customer, but also trying to provide the, the additional parts of the journey that are, that are beneficial for the customer and, and and really add to their to their experience. And going back to our previous discussion, the first main thing we we work really hard on is our filtering because customers do start. Like we start with, I think on our site at the moment, you start with more than fifteen hundred design options and size options beneath that. So you're looking at seventy eight thousand SKU options and different variations. So so we we want to try and get the customer as quickly as possible, getting to a point where they feel they're looking at, at a selection of items of interest to them. So it's ensuring that our filters are logical and clear without being too complicated. So we we want people to be able to have a reasonable choice inside three filters because once we're going up to five, six, seven filters, it's starting to become a laborious process. So, so load quickly, get our filters right, really high quality imagery where possible, and then and then at the back end, making the making the checkout really, really simple and really clear. And that's that's probably the next little thing, next smaller bit of dev we have is is adding in the the auto postcode finder and just making sure that we automate that process as much as possible. We we're, we're Adding our buy now pay later options only only in the next few weeks we've been a little bit behind that because of our average order value I think we've been a little bit slow in that but yeah making sure we have things like Google Pay and all the standard pay options available as well so so all, all of those things together and then trying to make sure that all those things you add don't affect our load speed so it's it's that constant yeah. balance yeah so just on the on those last pieces buy now pay later and all that just test it. Right. Make sure you test. Actually, sp- speaking to someone today about how they their experience adding buy now pay later actually reduced conversion rates because it added it added a level of complexity. Right. The, these were products that were you know average order value again like sub hundred pounds. So actually, a bit of a lower consideration purchase, maybe a bit more impulse. Actually, buy now pay later made we think maybe made made people think about the purchase a bit more. And consider it more because they're taking on credit. So, I just yeah, just That's test it. it, keep an yeah. eye on that. But I, going I back, say it's an interesting perspective, and I hadn't hadn't considered that. So yeah, you, you've put a, a little bit of a break in the works. We're, we're going to have to abate it and sorry. see what comes out. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, uh, what was the other thing? So filters, yeah, completely agree. I think it's the sort of category where filters are going to be really important, but also getting the filters right. So one thing that I hate and I, I never use on websites and it will, it will really push me away from a website is where I'm asked to filter by things that I don't understand. So that might be you know, collections, right? Collections. If, you, if you've got a design collections, I never look at them. I don't care. I don't know what those names mean. Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't work for me. But actually, interestingly, I, I, I got a phone call from Naked Wines earlier because I've, I haven't purchased for a while and I've got credit in my account. And I had actually been thinking of ordering it. So it's all right. But she was asking me, you know, what, what sort of wines do you like? What sort of flavors, you know, do you like them crisp, fruity? You know, ask me, ask me these questions. And I was kind of like, I don't really know. I don't, I don't know. I, I drink a lot of wine, but I don't know what a crisp wine is or a floral wine exactly. I can tell you I like a Sauvignon Blanc. So give me things that are similar to that. So it's, I think sometimes companies try to be a bit too clever with some of those sort of filters and, and questions that they ask, when really they should be asking people about things they know and can answer those questions. And then you just have to say, we'll make a little bit of an assumption based on what you've told us, based on what you've told us you already like. Yeah, the easy journey. The easy journey is absolutely key. And, and we found that same experience. We really only want to ask the customer, and the customer only wants to talk with what room is it for? What color do they like? What style and what size? And and you can use any or all of those, but anything above that, they're going going by collections is is an entirely different customer journey. That's a creative top of funnel, more thought led piece where you you have yeah. your collections that you can browse and enjoy. But that's one step further removed from the, from the buying cycle, and that's and we if we're bringing that in, we need to make sure that we don't confuse customers by presenting the top of funnel content whenever customers are, f- are further down that chain that just add the layer of complexity. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Site speed is what I want to talk about quickly. Site speed is something that comes up a lot. And I'm not, I'm obviously not against improving site speed. I think it is important. But I think there's probably certain users it impacts a lot more where it may not be that disastrous for your business. Right. So for example, and this is kind of early brainstorming, thinking about this, the people who are likely to bounce quickly are people on their phone browsing while they're commuting or whatever. They're on the go. They're probably not going to purchase anyway. They're just at that top of funnel kind of exploration stage. If your your website loads a bit more slowly, they are probably more likely to say, no, okay, I'll check it out later. You know, particularly if they've clicked through from a Facebook ad or something, right? They're quite low intent. If it sits loading within the Facebook app for a few seconds, then you know, I know I've done it where I've sat with a blank screen for a few seconds and gone, nah, okay, I'll look at it later. But people who are further down the funnel, even further into your website, might forgive a couple of seconds load speed in order to look at the picture that's caught their attention. Right. So I don't think I don't think it's a blanket. You've got to keep everything under three seconds, otherwise you're you're going to lose all your customers. I think it's, you know, if your website likes loads slowly, you're going to miss those low intent, a lot of those low intent customers. But I think a lot of your your buyers are still going to forgive a little bit of load time in order to get the information they want and and push through to make the purchase. Obviously, if your website is slow, 
<laughs> like like really slow, then that is an issue. Yeah, and you've absolutely nailed the the, the battle we have where we're looking at for images, content delivery networks, say mobile page loaders, you know, things like this, but but we can't downgrade the quality of the image. You know, the image must retain and load at, at the same quality, but yeah. must load in, in a different way. So if you're if you're compressing images down to a quarter of the size, well, then that's impacting the customer journey. And as you say, you, you might be keeping more of your low-end customers, but actually your, your high-end customers aren't enjoying the experience as much. So it's just trying to get that balance between between making sure the content is still of high quality, but making sure you structure the site in, in, in a way that, uh, that that doesn't impact load speed. And that's the... That's what we're looking at. We're looking at the unused script and, and wasted plugins and things like that, that that add low value for a customer, but but add a second on the PHP. Those are the things that we always have to think hard about. Are we adding enough value? Yeah. Yeah, I think I always see really, really high high file size images, videos on websites that, that don't need to be that. They are just... You know, they're uploaded at full quality, a full like HD or whatever. And they don't need to be like that. Video is obviously a little bit more difficult because they are bigger. But sometimes, I mean, it's maybe it's more personal thing, but I don't care about those background hero videos on websites, right? They don't, they don't, for me, they don't add anything. I just, you know, I'm very much, a, I need, I want the information I, I want to find or I want to buy the products that I want to find. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right, and, and it's probably a case of testing it. But the, the the key thing that we always try and remember is 80% of all of our traffic now is mobile. So so a large format image or or HD video is is going to look the exact same as a as a medium format video on a, on a mobile. So it's, yeah. so it's trying to focus that that everything we're doing is towards that 80%. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if it's you know if it's a valuable video, then absolutely have it on the website. But yeah, it's the the random backgrounds and what's the what's the design style where there's like a background kind of background layer behind the website which moves as you scroll is it parallax yes i don't i don't i don't know I but it's i find it a distraction but then the, the creative side of our business they, they really enjoy that kind of thing they, so it's yeah they, i mean they look amazing but is anyone really paying attention does anyone really care about this kind of subtle background video that's playing as you scroll through, or is it just adding load speed? But also a valid point on scripts, right? People don't, I don't think people audit scripts enough, get rid of stuff that's not in use. There's always going to be apps and various subscriptions and things that you've, where you might even still be paying for, but no one's using it. So you can save some money and get rid of that script from the website. A lot lot of the time I see businesses that have uh, tools that pretty much do the same thing. So they, you know, one of them got, you know, let's take the example of like Hotjar, right? Someone will have Hotjar in place for heat mapping, but they'll also have mouse flow in place or Lucky Orange. And you're like, well, I know you've, I know you've, you signed up for them for different reasons initially, but they both did the same thing. So just pick one of them and get rid of the other. It always seems easier to add to your website than to take away. And that's probably the source of the vast majority of load speed issues. Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? For as a marketing team, it's easy to to go into development or whoever and say, We've got this new app we need to install. It's it's gonna help us do this. Cool, install it. That's integrated, done. But when the tech team turns around a couple of years later and says, We want to remove this, we think it's adding load speed, who's responsible for it? That's where things go. 
go absolutely dead because possibly that person's left or, or people have forgotten about it. And yeah, it's just blockages to getting it done because no one knows who's, whose it is and, and whether anyone's using it. Cool. So what else do you do to make sure you're always improving in the business? Yeah, that's, that's a very good question. We're, we're actually, as a business, we have a, we have a really clear cultural platform that the business is built on. It's a, and it's actually built around a manufacturing concept called uh, lean manufacturing. We're not manufacturers, we're distributors, but, but we follow a really simple concept through the business. And then I follow it myself personally as well. And it's called a two second lean. And the, the basic concept is that each of us make a two second improvement each day. So we change or improve something that, that makes our, our job easier by two seconds. And, and of course, in aiming to do that, you, you end up making improvements that are of vastly greater value than that. But it's, it's really, it's a clear part of the, the structure of the day. So we have a morning meeting for, for everyone on site every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, where we talk about the concept. We talk about what improvements have been made and, and we share improvements that are of value that may be of value to multiple other people. In that meeting, we then we actually have a WhatsApp group to to share videos of, of these various improvements, and we this is this can be in on on the website. It can be on on the floor, part of the operations, part of the customer service. The, the whole team is together on that, and and then we we kind of review those improvements each month and, and see which ones are worth going back and learning more about, or which ones are, are worth doing a, a piece in our morning meeting to explain the value that was added and, and how we can add further value going forward and. The probably the, the couple of massive pieces that are that we've introduced in the last two years is we actually have lean tours internally. So we have all the businesses come in to see what we do and then provide feedback for us on, on, on how we do it. And then we go and visit them and then, then we get to see how their how their businesses run. So we, we have multiple opportunities there to learn from each other and, and build up that business knowledge. And it's a great question. I see I don't often get asked that question, but it's it's something that's fundamental to what we do as a business and, and has been for the last since since mid 2018 we started that journey and it's, it's fundamentally changed our business for for the better and and for me personally yeah, it's something i am probably a little bit in that in the air uh, that that new age modern leader camp where i, I do my do my cold showers do my journaling all this kind of thing and and you know at a, at a, at a kind of sniggered at it myself a few years ago but having been through the journey and the process i realized that actually it, you, have, you can build up an awful lot of years of experience but if you don't reflect upon what you're learning day by day and week by week then you don't really take on board those learnings and, and you don't you know put them into future wisdom so you, you build up years of experience without a whole lot of wisdom and, and just writing a few notes and it's not it's not one piece it takes me five minutes to write a few notes in the morning what do I want to achieve today what was the highlight of yesterday what was the biggest issue kind of thing and, and it just allows me to reflect on yesterday and gives me an opportunity to see what I can do better today. So, uh, so yeah, really interesting topic. I, I could uh, talk about this kind of thing for hours. It's, it's something it's something I'm very, very interested in, but it's something as a business we uh, we really pride ourselves on. Yeah, I need, to, I need to try journaling. I actually bought one. Oh, God, I think it was in January. And it's not, I haven't touched it. It's, I think it's, it's one of those things that in my head, it feels like it's a, a big project to work on. And I don't know where to start. And that means that I haven't started. Yeah. Um, whereas yeah. really, yeah, I just need to, at the very least, just open it and read the first few pages. Because there's like, you know, there's some instructions and, you know, it tells you how to use it and stuff. I just need to read it. <laughs> yeah. And there's... Yeah, and, it is, and, and to be honest, that, that is a mental block I've suffered with in the past as well. I bought, bought journals, never used them. And, and I can't remember exactly what pushed me through it, but but I am in that opposite camp now where 
I know it takes me less than five minutes, so it's it's a really easy to achieve, and it's almost like that. You know, you, you get out of bed in the morning. If the only thing you achieve is you make your bed, you know, if the only thing I achieve is is, is I write a few notes in my diary, I feel like I'm probably going to have a good day. And as sure as you get to write a note in your diary, you write your number one focus for the day, and invariably your mind moves more and more towards that focus during the day, so you, you tend to achieve a bit more. So it's for, first week or two are hard because you're not seeing results, but once you start seeing a few results, I've certainly found it a, a very valuable experience. Yeah, good. Okay, yeah, I'll have to give it. And I was going to say a proper try, but uh, an actual try. <laughs> Pick it up. But it's good. Good that you do it in the business as well. I, I like this approach to to improvement. So is it literally just in these meetings? Anyone could just come along and say, "This is one little thing that I identified in this process that I think we can do a little bit better. That will just speed up." You know, I, I guess it could be speeding up the response the customer service ticket responses to unhappy customers and i've just found yeah. a way that we can you know filter those messages a little bit more efficiently so we can get to them quicker yeah it's it's one of those ones again where it, it sounds maybe complicated up front but it's every bit as simple as that or maybe even more simple so we, each team has dedicated time each day to to make improvements so say for the maybe commercial and marketing teams that's sort of making improvement as you see the opportunity for maybe the operations and customer service team it's 20 or 30 minutes in the morning to make an improvement. And it 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 can be a really simple trigger whereby say we have a, a templated email that, that explains to a customer how to handle a return of a certain product. And if we notice, if the customer service team noticed that there's something in that template that isn't quite right or that that detail needs updated because the courier details have changed, well then in your improvement time the next day, you just improve that template. And it, it becomes a, a sort of iterative process where bit by bit you realize that Maybe you send that template out and the customer, you know, customer seems to regularly come back and ask this next question. Well, then you update the template to, to also include the answer to that question. And, and you just you just keep developing from that. And the yeah. same thing similarly, if you go to upload a new product range and you upload the product range and it has a fault, it has an issue with the with the upload, well then that issue you identify in your in your upload file what caused that issue and you write better instructions or you change the layout of your upload file to make sure that your next upload going not just for this range but for each range going forward doesn't have that issue. So all those tiny, tiny little processes and then for the big stuff, we have a, a thing called a Kaizen, which is which is becoming a little bit more common language these days, but it's just where you get a group of people together, a couple of experts in the area and a couple of novices, and you watch the process being done and then the group feedback on, on what they're seeing. And what potential improvements they see and that's how you tackle bigger improvements and you tend to find in the morning meeting we, there's more discussion about the bigger items because they're the ones that you can really break down and, and explain to the group and, and share that knowledge for yeah i like that i suppose you could yeah you can apply anywhere can't you you could even be saying like your your welcome emails or something how could how can i spend 20 minutes just making this what the first email they receive better what what should be better about it and, and it's a, that sounds that's a perfect example because it sounds like it's such a small thing and it's maybe just changing a couple of words in that sentence to engage the customer better but when you get 75 people taking that time each day five days a week to make those improvements you, you very quickly mount up to four or five thousand improvements a year and, and it's those four or five thousand that are the critical mass of the difference but, but it starts with as you say how What's the customer journey? What tiny little thing could we make better today that that makes that journey easier? Well, it's, I mean, at the end of the day, it's their job, right? And I suppose that's that's also 
possibly why it doesn't get done in that way, in that same way. There's always a focus on new things, right? What's what's the next new thing we should do? What's the next new thing we should add? And suddenly it's six years since anyone actually touched a welcome email. It's well out of date. Yeah. And so going back and breaking those tasks down into, into something that can be done in 20 minutes, right? That's one email, right? What can I do with, with email number one today? And then tomorrow it can be email number two, next day email number three. Whereas people tend to think of it as we need to improve our welcome flow, which suddenly becomes... Well, it's five emails, three SMS, a direct mail. We've got various tags that happen as well. So, you know, when they, if they don't purchase after this email, a tag gets applied to to cause this to happen. And suddenly it becomes this massive project. You think, well, I, I can't fix this in 30 minutes. I can't improve this in 30 minutes. But when you, yeah, when you break it down and think, what's what's the, yeah. that one thing I've got to do to that one email? You've, you've, and going back to you, how, how you felt about journaling. Or how you feel about journaling at the moment? It's that procrastination because it feels so big, and if yeah. you can break every task down into into something reachable, like it, I can't remember who said it, but and it's, it's very very true. We massively overestimate what we can achieve in a day, and massively underestimate what we can achieve in a year. And and the difference is that expectation, as you said, that this is a big project. Maybe I can do it today, and you'd never have a hope of getting it done in a day. But if you broke it down and give it an hour's focus, say 30 minutes focus today and another 30 tomorrow and another 30 the next day, all of a sudden at the end of the week, you, you probably would have, it, would have it done. And even down to the smaller details around the continuous improvement, whenever we're undertaking a bigger task, we, we part of our development as, as in continuous improvement is to write down, don't write down complete this large message flow task. We, we write down the first stage of the task. So, so you write down, complete as you said improve email one today and write down task two and it just becomes a really simple task and then and then you write down task two is improve email two and write down task three and, and you add that to your list for tomorrow and, and even even just the thought of say, it saying in your calendar improve message flow today even that you sit down to read that and you think wow that's that's i can't do that whereas if you say and read improve email one you just jump straight in and, and you start improving it so it's yeah. it's a mindset yeah, it's too it's too vague, and vague makes it, uh, I guess, to sound like a bigger, a bigger project than it really is. Exactly. Brilliant. I just want to actually loop back a bit because there's one other thing I wanted to ask you about site experience because I know you're looking at it at the moment. Although I don't know how far this has gone. Search, website search. Have you got your new provider in? Yeah, so we we are on we are on a fairly small platform. We're not in any any of the, any of the big guys, and, and our uh, out of the box on site search was was fairly poor in quality. So we have actually recently tested both uh, DoFinder and Celebros, which are two of the bigger market names in the category. And yeah, we found some really really good experiential improvements. Reporting as with as with all of these things is is a little bit mismatched, so it's it's hard to pull exact exact data. But anecdotal evidence suggests that uh, that the experience is significantly better for the customer. AOV and time on site are both up to, with the with the introduction of, of Celebros in particular. So we're we're seeing a, a big benefit there. We are, however, seeing quite a big drop off in uh, page load speed. So uh, <laughs> we're, okay. we're we're probably in the midst of a debate there because we're we're seeing close to a thirty percent drop in page load speed. So, so there's a couple of different scripting opportunities we have to the the on-site search loads in full at every at every page load rather than loads at the point of use. 
So we're, we're reworking the script to, to have it load at the point of use and see if that creates a, a, a much different yeah. load speed. And if it does, then that, that's the that's the best of both worlds because we're definitely seeing improvement in, in customer experience, but but we don't want it to be at the at the cause of, of load speed. If we if we can solve that issue, the, the big benefit we're seeing of our current provider is that it's uh, as well as being self-learning, it can be it can be it can be taught better and better experiences at, at a very intuitive and easy to use level. So it, it can serve up all the results that either produced high bounce rates or produced low results. And we can then start to work through those results and see see what we can re-engineer those searches and similar searches too. And I know a lot of uh, on-site search has those kind of functionalities, but we're seeing with Celebros that there's a, that there's a greater opportunity to to rework that in a, in a at-scale usable format. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big, big fan of using some of these search platforms. I've used DoFinder and, and a couple of others. And the, the search experience is just so much better than what you get on the native platform. But that's, uh, I mean, uh, I suppose a lot of people just don't think about it. They just, they stick search on there, don't realize the opportunity that there is with search. But yeah, some of these, some of these tools are fantastic. The the experience they give you, it's definitely worth looking into. We're just about to run out of time. Is there anyone in the marketing space that you'd want to sit down for lunch with? Yeah, that's a, that's a, a left field question. Yeah. We, you know, locally, we're Northern Ireland based. And I, the team that built Chain Reaction Cycles have just been bought by Wiggle. They're, they've been a fantastic marketing team over the years. And their, their, their connection into the industry and their connection to, to online trading has, has always fascinated me. So I, I'd, I'd love to speak to their in-house marketing teams and see, and see where they're development has come from i mean i'm a huge user of ahrefs and i love i love the platform in general i love the the usability and the thought process they've put behind the information they supply so so it'd be interesting to speak to speak to some of their team and, and just see how they map out their ux and how they what kind of consumer insight they get that uh, that, that allows them to build a site like that so it's that's probably the geek in me once once yeah. that, once that kind of knowledge you know the in terms of creativity and i, I that's probably a question for another day. I'm not my creative juices that don't, don't tend to flow as quickly as as my sort of nerdish intent to, to see what happens behind these things. Yeah, fair enough. And yeah, any a couple of tools that you'd recommend people? Yeah, probably. Maybe I'm a little bit boring or traditional, but I love I love keeping in the line Google Trends to see what's moving, and and I use Search Console quite a bit as well, just just to keep an eye on on. How customers are finding us and, and what kind of ter- vari- variation there is within certain terms. So uh, we we'll plug that together with GA and, and, and we get some interesting interesting bits of information. So we do. So I also really like using for 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 our area of interest. I love going to uh, IMOG and, and getting benchmarking across the category and, and across the industry because you you just never know. Whether your your test has been your A/B test has been materially affected by what's going on in the market, and I've seen, we've seen so many times surprising results that don't get explained until you until you get your benchmarking done, and then you realise that actually the result is probably as expected once you factor in the, the benchmarks. So, so yeah, I'm a big big fan of data, big fan of getting uh, getting information in and sharing it with the team and, and making better decisions. Yeah, cool. Do you have any any tool related to the improvement stuff? Do you use any specific tool to kind of manage that or kind of guide it or anything it's a it's a great question and we, it's not a tool exactly but the the whole concept is based on a really the concept that we follow follow is based on a really simple book called two second lean by paul Akers. 
And he actually has created an app where the book is completely free and you can listen listen to the audiobook. I think he has it in eight or nine languages. But, but yeah, it's a phenomenal book. I've probably read it eight or nine times at this stage and, and I tend to read it once or twice a year. So I do. And it's the kind of book you could give to your 10-year-old child. It's a couple of hundred pages, big writing, lots of pictures. You read it in two or three hours. And it's for anyone, I'm, I'm one of those weird people that, that kind of arrives with a book in hand in case anyone wants to talk about this topic and I'll probably gift it. <laughs> yeah. At this stage, 40 or 50 of these books, the different people who've come and toured and, and people who we've spoken okay. to about it, then invariably the message that we get back from people, the message I get back from people is, wow, I can't believe it's this simple. I'm addicted to the process now. And they find they're, they're creating systems in their kitchen that they never believed they could have. So, so yeah, for me, that, that two-second main book is if, if you like process or, or you want to put more processes into your business or into your life and, and make life really easy, it's a phenomenally interesting book. Awesome. I'll definitely have to check that one out. Cool. Thank you. This has been really interesting stuff. Loved hearing about the business, particularly the improvement stuff, actually. That was that was really, really interesting. If anyone wants to reach out and find a, you know, speak to you or find out more about what you're up to, what's the best way of contacting you? Yeah, best way to contact me is probably on LinkedIn. So it's Paul Vallely, V-A-L-L-E-L-Y. And more than happy to catch up on LinkedIn. I, I try and post a little bit more regularly and, and it's a it's a big part of our employer brand piece to to try and connect with 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 more people so yeah more than happy to catch up we're, we're always looking to speak to interesting people and, and build, build a fantastic group here so yeah I'd welcome a chat awesome thanks cheers Paul thanks Will UGC micro influencers and reviews are all key for Cocoon as Paul mentioned products that have reviews sell better you know something we all know uh, that in turn generates more reviews uh, in addition, if you can get those service or business reviews as well, you're going to build better trust for the brand as a whole, uh, as opposed to just those individual products. One problem Paul did mention, uh, it's a shame that the kind of industry has gone down this way, uh, but actually too much solid feedback can actually have a negative impact. Uh, customers get a bit wary, uh, a bit sceptical if you've only got four and five star reviews. Obviously, if, if you have a great product and a great business, this you know potentially uh you know, it shouldn't be too big a problem but you you're going you might lose some customers um but that's why it's important to make these reviews as rich as possible if you can get customers sending in images of their products as well or you know even a video it really reduces that skepticism because new customers can see that these clearly are real reviews if you'd like to speak to Paul about anything we've discussed today, please reach out to him on LinkedIn. Any other podcast questions, feedback, or guest requests, please send them over to will at customerswhoclick.com or DM me on LinkedIn. Next up, I've got Katrina McKinnon with me. We're going to be talking about how you can create fun and engaging content for your website, as well as how to find and hire copywriters. But until then, keep those customers clicking.